0: All right, gentlemen, good to see you. Come on in. Derek's awake on the live stream. Good to see you, Derek. Got his coffee in hand. El Rancho, relaxo, whatever he is. Second Timothy, gentlemen. Did we read chapter 1 of 2 Timothy last week? Who knows? When in doubt, 2 Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy 2. We'll go to verse 14. 2 Timothy 2.14. Nicole, thank you for breakfast. Did you do that or was that Rachel? Team effort, maybe. All right. 2 Timothy 2.14. Remind them of these things. Solemnly charging them in the presence of God, not to dispute about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid godless and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. And their word will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to depart from wickedness. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of clay, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, having been prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's slave must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may give them repentance, leading to the full knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. That's right. Father, as we uh, set sail to a new day, uh, we thank you that you have already uh, charted our course. You have already decreed uh, the good times, the bad, the difficulties, and the not-so-difficult things, the blessings in disguise, and the blessings apparent. We thank you, Father. You are sovereign over the day, and you are good over the day thank you for these brothers who have uh, labored to get here thank you for this food that's been provided for us may it nourish us we ask father that we would heed these words of really leadership and masculinity in second timothy uh, to to flee unrighteousness impurity to labor to accurately handle your word to avoid foolish controversy uh, to be faithful to teach well kind to all and gently with gentleness correcting those who are in error father and may only what is conforming to your word and useful for the upbuilding of these dear brothers be said this morning we ask that we would be better off because of our time together really in this uh, sacred fraternal that we have with one another in christ's name we pray amen all right gentlemen come on in we got more coffee coming and what's that I don't know what he said Coffee's oh ready. hot coffee is ready okay uh let's see what do we have here all right did uh poxatani phil see his shadow this morning anybody know i think it's today isn't it usually february 2nd more winter more winter all right yeah i like the groundhog day thing because it's a dishonesty that keeps us all honest um and you know when we hear things like you know gas stoves are bad but A marijuana market on every corner is good Uh, global warming is going to kill us but the people who say that are flying around in their private jets we can all say well we still we all still celebrate groundhog day and that's a good dishonesty that keeps us honest maybe it took you a minute there but that's all right um so we are in uh uh masculinity and work part two and uh last week we covered If you didn't get notes, Matt, where are the extra notes? They're in a quote notebook. Would you mind grabbing a couple of them? Great, thank you. Uh, And we looked at just kind of laying a basic theological foundation for work. Number one, that God works. Uh, He worked for six days, not because it took him that long, but because he decided to set a pattern for us. We looked at work before and after the curse. and that work was created before the curse. It's part of the cultural mandate. It's a good thing. That What was it, uh, gentlemen, about work that changed? What did the curse do to work? What did the curse do to work? The curse did not bring in work, but it did what? Made it hard. Made it hard. It created a level of tediousness in it. So work was part of God's good plan, as was marriage and masculinity, femininity, uh, two genders, all that good stuff. So when God says, he gives us the cultural mandate in Genesis 1, uh, 26, 27, 28, and says, subdue the earth, corral it, make it your slave, use everything up that I've given you in it. Work will become a means to accomplish that. We looked at, so we looked at, what do you need, brother? Okay. Um, so, work before and after the curse. Uh, we looked at the reproach of refusing to work. The reproach number three of refusing to work. Uh, Paul says in Second Timothy, excuse me, Second Thessalonians three ten. What does he say there? Just yeah. If a man is not willing, it's not not able. If he's not willing to work, he should not what eat. Uh, the scripture doesn't say, "Well, give him what he needs to get by if he refuses to work," or "Cut him a check every month so that he can still kind of get what he needs." Doesn't say that. Uh, the Apostle of Grace in Second Thessalonians 3:10 said, "If he's unwilling, he should not eat." Okay, and that's just a super helpful concept. Uh, we chatted briefly. We looked at several different comments on that, um, from different commentators. We looked at stealing and theft. We looked at the blessing of work, that work is a righteous endeavor to love your neighbor. Uh, it's a righteous way for a man to care for others. Uh, Ephesians 4, 28 says that work is uh, a means to not only provide for oneself, but to give. That's part of the purpose of work to, to bless others. Work is also a righteous motivator for the attainment of wealth and goods. Um, It's uh, hunger and the attainment of uh, material blessings. Uh, Work is a legitimate means which God provides to attain that. And then we left off at number five, what kind of work um, should I do? But before that, as we are doing each week, um, you know, Jill might know where those are. Uh, I asked her last night, she said, they're in a notebook, they're in the notebook. So I have no idea. We need, I think we need about three copies if possible. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, so the, we're looking at uh, different rites of passage into masculinity. We've looked at several from around the globe. We looked at that somewhat disturbing and interesting one from the Aboriginal people last week. Uh, today's, since we're talking about a theology of work and masculinity. I thought we would look at a rite, a masculine rite of passage as it involves a particular trade, a job. Work, Uh, and this one comes from uh, the Yakut people. anybody heard of anybody been to Yakutsk or Yakutia? anybody have heard of that? It's a it's an area of northeast Russia, and it's the Yakut people are they're they're like their own culture. They're really not they're Russian by passport, but not really ethnicity. Ethnically, they they kind of look like um, Mongolian people. And they're way up there, and it's the biggest province or state of Russia, uh, area-wise, but it has some of the fewest people. And uh, yeah, exactly. Yep, yeah, you've you've seen that. Uh, Yakut is uh, it's the coldest large city in the world, uh, the coldest place in the world next to Antarctica. And this so this rite of passage involves the consecration consecration ritual for a man into what in, in the old days with the Yakut people was considered the most honorable, exalted trade in the whole culture. Any guesses what that job might be? Uh, no, good guess, though. Yeah, they don't, they're mostly inland people. Blacksmith. So in the Yakut culture the blacksmith was higher on the totem pole than even the shaman. And typically in, in pagan uh, people groups like this, the shaman is the highest, right? He, he's, he's the highest in the social hierarchy. I uh, think Brett needs one, uh, Brother Jed. So it, it, very interesting, the, the smithy, the village smithy, that's what they called him. This guy was above the doctor, the the shaman the the lawyer the carpenter the whatever else the shaman even feared him and why, why might why might in a culture like that the blacksmith be the highest on the totem pole any ideas this is a fascinating culture, what culture is it? the yakut people y-a-k-u-t yakutsk it's a city in, in northeast russia yeah yeah that guy that guy goes down everything you freeze and die right nothing nothing happens but with that guy everything happens kind of like the mongols right big time into horses so what they do is uh to this rite of passage for a man to become a blacksmith and this is a man's job as it should be uh they would they would bring in a black bull they would find a black bull with a white spot on its head okay and i'm just quoting from original sources here Uh, then what they do is they take the black bull in they sacrifice and they kill the bull yakut people northeast russia Uh, they 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 kill the bull they smear the 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 blood um all over the blacksmith this young blacksmiths his blacksmith candidates tools so they drench all his blacksmith blood all, all the tools in blood then they make seven blood sausages from the entrails of the bull. Seven men are then selected to represent the seven assistants of an individual named Kadai Maskin. Kadai Maskin is the evil deity in Yakut culture and the head blacksmith of the entire underworld, OK? Uh, one of the men, so, so of these seven men, one of them is the bellows man what's the bellows man and blacksmithing and metalwork yep uh two are the file men during the initiation they're grinding files over iron to make a loud grating sound four are hammer men striking the sacrificial bull with hammers so once the once the sausage the uh, the blood sausages are made seven men all those the seven helpers of kadaimaskian put one blood sausage raw blood sausage on the back of their neck they each have to place a piece then of the bull's raw lung in their teeth. Uh, and then a large fire is made. The bellows are cranking it out. The seven men then throw the head of that bull, the arteries, the heart, and the liver into the fire while the, while the bellows men are going nuts on the fire. The shaman then comes in, again, who is subservient to the blacksmith. Um, and he, quote, lets his spirit helpers enter into him the shaman so he welcomes all these like demons or whatever into himself the shaman then puts on a large fur coat jumps around the blacksmith candidate in a frenzy i thought this is interesting and very telling uh singing in ecstatic non-language babble like speaking in kind of tongue kind of thing jumping around like crazy just chanting non-language ecstatic babbling and the process continues, and the young man is welcome into the sacred trade of blacksmith. Interesting, how do they come up with that? As I'm reading this, I'm wondering, how did you, who thought of this, the Yakut culture? Neil, you heard of the Yakut culture? Northeast Russia? Anyhow, all right. Neil's our local, our resident linguist, so. Masculinity so we're at number five work and calling what kind of work should i do um again nothing here will be definitely new to anybody maybe just saying some things in a different way but some things to consider as human disciple others or uh raise children or consider a career change whatever it might be at times of, in history some have thought of uh, work as one's calling that's a fair thing to say um however uh you may be a guy or know a guy who has an occupation you know it's very obvious this guy was wired for that you now that might be very clear for some individuals he, his natural abilities that God has given him his constitution seem to fit well into a particular trade but as we think of work and a calling a man should not feel that he has missed his calling for example if he wonders about his job and thinks, you know, is this what I should be doing? Or if he changes his career a few times, or many times, or if he changes career when he's older, in his 40s, 50s, 60s, he should not think, you know, we don't want to overplay the work and the calling card. He should not think that he has failed to realize his calling. God is sovereign. Everything that happens is God's decree. God is uh, mapped out a man's course. Paul changed his career several times. Paul was uh, probably the most accomplished Pharisee in the Mediterranean world in the first century. Uh, he bagged that career, you know, as uh, probably maybe in his 40s. We don't know exactly. Uh, becomes a tent maker, like a leather worker. Very, very important and honor of masculine trade in the ancient world. Um, and then he becomes a half he's vocational apostle like preacher church planter and tent maker and then a full-time apostle preacher uh, church planter all that to say if we want to be careful as we think about calling and work uh sure you're called to something if you're doing it god's sovereign right to help discern that let's think about assessing one's work theologically assessing one's work Uh, The world assesses work in various ways, Uh, you know, how much money you earn, how much status that particular trade or job has in society at a given time, uh, if this job attains you fame or status, whatever it might be. But Scripture encourages us to think a little bit differently as as we assess work. Uh, A couple of questions here. Uh, You could add to this, but a couple of questions. That men need to ask themselves as they consider, you know, what what should I do? Um, in no particular order. Number one, does this work glorify God? And that's very obvious. Uh, a couple of questions under that: Will will this job require me to violate God's commands, His His commandments for behavior, for godliness? Am I having to violate my conscience? and various tasks of this job. Uh, Romans 14 tells us, uh, and and Romans 14, whatever is not done in faith is sin. If I'm not in my work, if I'm not acting out of faith, then I'm sinning, and I have to reevaluate that. Uh, Do my work requirements bring me into situations where I I may have to compromise uh, other biblical standards of conduct? I'm being asked to, or suggested to, uh, that's that's going to be a, a clear indicator about God's will in a man's work. And then another question you could ask, would I be okay with Christian friends and family knowing what my job involves? Would, would I have a clear conscience if everything I do, everything it involves, from the book work to the field work and everything in between is happening? Could I lay this bare before my Christian friends or uh, a, a spiritual leader in my life. And I'd have a, no problem in good conscience them knowing the fullness and the truthfulness of what I'm doing. A couple of suggested questions there to assess is this work under the will of God? Second, A question you could ask, does this work benefit people? Does it benefit people? And remember, we talked at length last week about how all work is created in one way or another to do, to fulfill what command? Love your neighbor as yourself, yeah. So it's, we, we observed that it's interesting how God, this, this command that Galatians 5.14 says fulfills the whole law. Love your neighbor as yourself fulfills the whole law. That God says, okay, I'm going to create a cultural mandate and every job, whether you're a Yakut people under this, this pagan shamanism in 70 below Russia or you know, in a more uh, modern context, you don't acknowledge me you do acknowledge me god creates work that's going to be a form of loving one's neighbor i think that's fascinating that god does that leviticus 19 18 you shall love your neighbor as yourself is there some way in which my work serves people and i mean every job in some way or another a restaurant worker a builder janitor garbageman landscaper plower teacher sanitation nurse physician surveyor fisherman oil driller, or engineer airport servicemen, military, judge, law, statistician, mechanic, farmer, and on and on, welder, PT, paper mill, lumber industry, professional athlete, web designer, musician, cobbler, policeman, you know, all of these things are forms of loving one's neighbor, providing some tangible service to product for oversight of organization of loving one's neighbor. You know, you're, you're fixing stuff, that is loving one's neighbor, even if you're a rank atheist, and God designs it that way. Uh, an o- occupation involving benefiting people uh, or loving one's neighbor inherently has value since it fulfills God's second great commandment. Um, I don't want to get too deep into this. I'm in no way uh, to go deep into this, but on these grounds... Of of asking ourselves about work, some work may be called into question. Like, I found this website, a couple of them, like illegitimate jobs, or maybe a, a less seasonable word than illegitimate jobs. Um, but one example concerns work in a system of overly large government. When when. Political rulers and the Caesars start to overstep God's plan of government and create too large of a government, um, over-regulation, things like that. This, this requires jobs that are unnecessary um, and operate under the pretense of providing, aka controlling people uh, in an unbiblical way, uh, over-governing, over-taxing, things like that where where a a system goes beyond god's stipulations and principles for government unnecessary thereby created that would be that that would be backfiring on god's design for work okay Uh, another another uh, question we can ask ourselves does it provide does my work provide material needs number three can i provide for material needs have some remaining to save and give which our biblical principles of wealth? Am I looking for work in which I cannot realistically provide? We have to be careful of that. Am I wanting a job because I really like it or I'm I'm fantasizing about it'd be really cool to do this, but I can't realistically provide. We talked at length about in a cursed world, work is gonna be tedious. We have to be realistic uh, about embracing the cursedness of work and settling into that, that it's going to be sweat, back to death genesis three seventeen, and that's just part of work third should i re-examine my current occupation or in order to find one in which i can provide materially uh this might involve taking a job that um you know isn't the most enjoyable or entertaining again with th- th- this idea that we hear often with you know um interviewing sometimes with uh, interviewers and headhunters and different things well find the job that you just love and if you don't love it then you're 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 in the wrong job and of course that's that's bogus because of the curse there's going to be always uh, a tediousness in work Uh, and in fact there is wisdom in, in a man finding a career to find something as we mentioned last week that other people don't like to do and not a lot of people are willing to do you can do it well that might be the job for you um, so a man shouldn't feel that he's doing something wrong or missing God's call if, if he's not thrilled about his work. He should never think that. Again, this is a Genesis 3 world. Fourth, uh, can I live a godly and balanced life in this work? Super important to ask. Um, can I live a godly and balanced life? And of course, this would be a, a sub-question under the, can I glorify God in my work? Uh, Some jobs require a lot of time away from the home, from the family, especially with young kids. A man's going to have to think real hard about that. A lot of time away from the body of Christ, a man's going to have to really prayerfully evaluate the wisdom of continuing in this kind of work. Uh, We get one life. We We get one shot with our kids, don't we? And may God have mercy on us. And, and sometimes there are variables in there that can be controlled. Sometimes in seasons of life, they can't be. But just we're going to have to pray real common. you know, jobs, especially if you have kids and if you worship Jesus, you know, you have little kids at home, jobs that, re- like, that require you to, you know, be up in Barrow, Alaska in the oil fields for a long time, or things like working on an oil rig, you know, very noble, very important jobs, but different times in life might not be the wisest for a guy Um, a guy might fall into a situation where it's just there's nothing else he can do and and he'll have to trust god and and throw himself on the merciful compassionate arms of the lord but just things to think about and pray hard about Um, uh, there those types of jobs of course offer these jobs where you're away offer financial incentives but a man is going to have to think carefully about the season of life he is in um, he can ask questions like, uh, just very common sense type stuff. Will I be able to give adequate time to shepherding and nurturing my family? Um, I, I had a guy, someone asked last week, he, he asked, I've, I've been told that a guy should find a job where, uh, where he can work in such a way so as to be as close to family as possible with as much time as them as possible. For example, and he said, working in the home. Um, And, you know, just some common sense thoughts on that. Yes and no. Uh, You know, if you work in the home and have kids like under eight, what's happening every six minutes? (laughs) Or not even, just, hey dad, look at this picture I drew or what I found in the yard or whatever um so yes we we want to uh, a christian man embracing masculinity is to be with his family as much as possible to lead them to shepherd them and love them however we don't want to compromise work either like for like i gave myself an example i was i I was doing that like in one of our um one of our rooms in our houses I was working in there and just my three girls were just busting through the door. And my level of concentration and focus, it wasn't happening. And so therefore the quality of my work was being compromised. And so brother Travis and Phil came over and helped me build an office in my garage. So there's like a separation. Dad's commuting, dad's going to work, you know, into the garage, out the garage, and I have a lock on the door as well. (laughs) And we shepherded them, you know. The point being just very common sense stuff. Um, That question, should I, you know, work as near the home as possible or be in the home. We have to be careful of that because again, when you're at work, your, your, your work requires deep levels of concentration and thought and focus. And you want to do that to the glory of God. Right? And so we go to work, we do that. We are all there. We focus as much as possible. And that actually might afford a man more time with his family. If he's working away from the home, outside of the home, as opposed to in the home and being distracted and interrupted every five minutes. Okay. You guys get that. Um, kind of a, a common sense thing. Um, I, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I've noticed often being at home mm-hmm. out of the norm of being at home, like, you know, a sick day or whatever, mm-hmm. it throws my wife and my kids way out of balance as far as, you know, her role in the home of making the home, this or that. Yeah. How so? Um, That's a great observation. Maybe she's taking care of me a little, a little bit more than what, she, what she, you know <laughs> takes away from faithful her lives, mind. Yeah. Uh, but also just you know her authority that God's given her to raise up the kids in the home. Yeah. Being a little disrupted yep. by just being there. Because her work that God has called her to Titus two being a, a worker at home loving the children requires an immense amount of focus. Uh, I mean I've never been a, a mom or a, a homemaker as Titus two commands. But as I've observed these things, I mean, it it requires an incredible amount of focus, energy, intentionality, uh, managerial skills, uh, law enforcement, uh, military type uh, uh, demeanors. I mean, it's, it's incredible. So that's a great observation. Being all there wherever you are, being able to give full focus for the glory of God as much as possible to the particular task. Um another question that a brother asked last week was I've I've heard it said I've heard heard it said within Christian circles that a man should find a job and orchestrate himself in his job so as to maximize as much as possible earning potential so as to maximize being able to maximize his giving to the kingdom of God and Uh, I I guess my answer to that question is, you are free to do that. That's great if you want to do that. But I wouldn't want to say that, you know, if a guy isn't doing that, he's sinning. Um, Because there's God's providence and God's sovereignty in certain jobs. You might cap out. You might be wired for something that might not be able to maximize earning potential. There's just a lot of variables in that. So yes, we want to I mean, we want to earn as much as we can. That's great. Do that. That's a, that we looked at several principles and proverbs last week that that encourage that. But again, a guy isn't sinning if he's not able to maybe achieve a certain level uh, that he wants to. So I don't want to put an unnecessary yoke on a guy with respect to that question. Anyone else want to comment on that, especially so some of you brothers that have been in the Exactly. For example, yeah. Yeah, very good, Rick. Yeah. Yeah, so many variables there to consider. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate that, Rick. Yeah, any other thoughts on that or anything at all that we're talking about? A lot of you guys have navigated the, the difficulties of the professional and work world your whole lives. Go ahead, Jed. Yeah, exactly. Let me say here, too, Jed's a guy who's had very different careers. Uh, professional athlete and uh, international business and all kinds of software stuff, so yeah, sorry go ahead. There are just lots of ways that you can give um, and provide for your family. Yeah, exactly. A so, guy that comes to my mind that I really respect and go to, um, he was in the ministry um, and made almost nothing, but he, uh, the value that he provides into my life is immense. Amen. So. Yeah, amen. Thank you. Very good. Very helpful. Um, other questions, do I have the skills or God-given abilities to to develop skill to further myself in this work? Um, you know, again, just looking, understanding how God has made me, my hardwiring. We can all develop certain skills. This is balanced with the fact that God has sovereignly dealt us the hand with which we all play. Um, you know, like uh, some of you, uh, Brother Will, if I could point you out, you know, worked at a Dutch harbor for many years. I couldn't do that. I die the first day on the job, uh, working at a Dutch Harbor, you know, pulling all Niners eight, seven, eight, twelve 12 days in a row, you know, king crab fishing. Um, so, you know, we just have to be realistic with ourselves. Um, so, you know, I'm not here gentlemen to give like a seminar on uh, finding the perfect job. That's just out of my realm, just a couple of biblical principles. But I think as we, as we consider, and I know that I've talked to some of you who even, you know, you're, you're further in life or thinking about, you know, I, I'm wondering if I should have a career change. We think about that God has given us, you know, about four things that play into our, uh, play into our, to, to our, to our jobs. Number one, God-given abilities. Number two, God-given desires, uh, skills that I've learned, obligations, five things, obligations, like being with family, providing and opportunities. Um, opportunities are God's providence for the most part. And we can't control that. Uh, God usually isn't going to speak down from verbally and tell a man, all right, you should take this job instead of that. Pursue that career instead of this. Um, rather, he'll speak through some of those things that we've just looked at. Uh, abilities, skills, obligations, desires. And so as men of God, we look And we pray about these things in order to discern a path forward in a career. Um, And as we do, do, I think we consider three other things biblically to kind of dig down a little deeper on this, three general things about work, aspiration, humility, and faith. As we're trying to decide on a job, aspiration, humility, and faith. Aspiration, you know, we, we wanna aspire as men of God. Uh, we we want to be reaching. We want to try hard. We want to go as far as we can go within the bounds of faithfulness. Uh, w- we want to go for great excellence. What, uh, whatever we do, do all for the glory of God. Uh, if, you're, if, if you're working you know, as a line cook at McDonald's, you do it for the glory of God. You, you, you be as good as you can. Aspir- aspiration. You push yourself try stuff that is hard do something that might get uncomfortable where you know you'll, you'll have to shift into your god-given masculine hardwiring of being willing to embrace discomfort uh, masculine traits of having to do something hard being uncomfortable so i think as we think about our jobs we want to aspire big time be willing to do something where it's like there's an i don't know factor or i'm gonna have to lean on god factor And again, king crab fishing at a Dutch harbor. That would be an I don't know effect. (laughs) I mean, every day you're praying on the deck of that ship. Um, Aspiration. Number two, balancing that humility as we think about our jobs. Humility. We need to be humbly realistic. Uh, We might not be able to achieve what we hope. God calls us to be content in certain circumstances. Um, And we have to be careful of foolish pride that can blind us. Um blind us from, to to limitations over which God is sovereign, our circumstances, our abilities. Uh, We we don't want to be more than we are. We want to try as hard as we can, but we don't want to be something that we're not. Foolish pride might also prevent us from embracing circumstances, career circumstances that are before us. You know, well, you know, I'm holding out for you know, CEO of a Fortune 50, I'm holding out for that. Well, and when God has put something great in front of you that's a little more realistic, that's honorable and has some, you know, furthering potential, we wanna embrace that. Uh, We turn, we don't wanna turn something down because we wanna be careful, I should say, about turning something down because we think we're too good for it, okay? Um, In pastoral ministry, this happens uh, one of the, like the, the the secrets of pastoral ministry is pastors often use churches as stepping stones. Like, well, I'll start out in a small church, but I'm going for a, I'm going for a big one. Or pastors sometimes in the pastor world won't take a small church because they're holding out for a bigger one. And, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily have parallels exactly in the corporate world, but in the ministerial world, it, it certainly does. That's a, that's a no, no, obviously. Okay. Um, in the corporate world, in the career world, you do use different things as stepping stones. That can be a good thing, but the idea is being humble, being realistic, faithful in a little, faithful in much, right? Um, And then the third thing, so aspiration, humility, the third thing is faith um, as we take a job. We have faith in the Lord. This isn't in your notes, by the way, this is just sort of chit chat. Um, When a man sets out on a job or a career or anything in life, um, God doesn't sit him down and say, okay, here's how this is going to work. You're going to start this job. It's going to work out perfectly. You know, in year one, you're going to do this year two, that year three, this, and here's, here's kind of the roadmap. Uh, it doesn't work that way. And sometimes we can get analysis paralysis where it's like, if I don't see a perfectly way forward, I'm not taking a step forward in faith. And that goes against biblical principles that we walk by faith, not sight. Um, We walk with God. We wait on God. We trust God as we go forward. Um, Success and faithfulness does not mean knowing necessarily. It's not equal to knowing exactly what to do and how things will work out. That's just a normal biblical worldview. There are things like wisdom, faith, providence, wisdom and faith, principles we exercise, providence we can't control, Um, But I step forward in faith knowing that I'll need to use wisdom every step of the way in my career and the uncertainties of it, trusting God, his word, his spirit, prayer, other brothers, people to help me. Uh, So we need to embrace and preach to ourselves the uncertainty in my work, in my career, whatever I'm doing, God will never let me go. Uh, uh, David says in Psalm 37, I've been young, now I'm old and never seen a righteous man begging for bread. Um, and God will take care of me. God will bless me. With the uncertainties, you know, we trust in the Lord with all our heart. and do not lean on our own understanding. Aspiration, humility, and faith, and then we pray and pray and pray and trust that God is God. Okay? Thoughts on that? Comments? As you think about shepherding men and their work. Do I have the physical ability to perform this? Asking myself questions like that, do I have the mental and intellectual ability to perform this? The spiritual ability, we're all wired differently. We're all at different places. There are all limiting factors: the curse, the play in, and you know not not everyone, not everyone has the, the constitution or the hardwiring or the ability to, to be a framer, or to work in the oil fields, or to be an electrician, or to be a financial manager. I mean, all of those have are very rigorous jobs in their own right in different ways. So we've got to be realistic with ourselves um, as we think about this. A helpful book that gets real practical about, the, about this, have you guys heard of uh, Rory Groves' book called Durable Trades? It came out during COVID. He's a Christian. Matt, you and I were talking about Rory Groves. He's a guy in Minnesota yesterday. Yeah, He was, um, he was a computer scientist. And was in and out of, you know, some of you guys can relate to this, in and out of all kinds of software, selling software companies. And then backed up and real, and, and and started asking himself, you know, what, what jobs are the most durable throughout history? And asking himself about, you know, make like family center jobs, jobs that I can do within my family. And it's interesting, he identified 61 jobs. Um, he did sort of a historical and philosophical study and, and identified 61 jobs that like every place, every time, every culture. Uh, have made a decent living and have been very necessary to society and certainly fit into loving one's neighbor. It's a fascinating book. Um, I would encourage you to get it. Just some interesting recreational durable trades, durable trades, Rory Groves. So again, he looks at like uh, historically and philosophically um, jobs over time. He observes an interesting correlation. He studied like the rise and falls of societies and he, he observes, I don't, I don't know, you know, I'm not a necessarily historian in this, in this right, but he observes a correlation between the rise of more complex jobs and the collapsing of societies. And he says, the more, uh, the more a society kind of like demeans and devalues trades, and creates and, and complexifies itself. This is whether it's like the Assyrians or the Americans, you know, the 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 the, the Persians or the Romans, as as these jobs get more complicated um, and less trade-like. That 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 has always happened when a society is about to go down the other side of the roller coaster and not come back. it's a fascinating. Yeah, I'm, I I don't know how much truthfulness there is to that, but nevertheless, uh, a very interesting interesting read. Durable trades. He's now uh, he's now a uh, he's a farmer in southern Minnesota, and just cashed out and wanted to learn trades. He he knew, he knew nothing about you know like farming and uh, and butchering and and uh, shepherding animal shepherding. And so we bought a, a huge farm and does this and uh, trains other people how to do it. Real interesting. Anyhow, um, number six, the believer's approach to work. Just a more common sense stuff here. More, more we could say, you guys could add to this, but just a few things. Letter A in no particular order. As believers, how do we approach work? Letter A, respectful obedience towards one's employer, or boss. Co-workers, Ephesians 6, five, slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. The original context is Roman slavery, you know, uh, harder than, you know, the, the employer-employee situation we have now. But as we think about, okay, what's God's will for me? Obey my boss. That's God's will for my life. Obey him. And the biblical idea of obedience is uh, a, a cheerful heart, um, immediate obedience, and diligent obedience. Letter B, and uh, our jobs, working as unto the Lord. Again, Ephesians 6:5 right there, in sincerity of heart. Uh, the Greek word there, uh, it's one word that's translated sincerity of heart. And it has the idea of a pure motive. Purity and, and a, a really beauty of motives in the heart. Uh, the, the purest of, of worship is the idea. Work being worship. You know, the divide between secular, sacred, that's not really biblical. I worship the Lord as I carry out my trade, as I go to work. Um, Sincerity of heart as to Christ, verse 6, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord. And not to men. And remember, these are slaves, sometimes in, I mean difficult contexts. And Paul says, "Do it as to the Lord." Verse 8, knowing that whatever good thing each one does this he'll receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free, and then a parallel idea there, Colossians 3:23, "Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord, rather than for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, it's the Lord Christ whom you serve." So, I mean, according to these verses, brothers, uh, our attitude, whether, you know, you're you're, uh, a chef at a restaurant, a taxi driver, a policeman, a serviceman of some sort, a pastor, a real estate agent, law, an athlete, a musician, writer, whatever, our attitude at work is a form of worship, for better or worse. Uh, Our demeanor, our demeanor at work is our demeanor to the Lord there's no break there. Whatever I am at work, in my heart or outward, that's what I am to the Lord. Um, good attitude, by God's grace, and it's hard to in the tediousness and the cursedness of work. Good attitude at work, good attitude towards the Lord, and the opposite is true as well. Enthusiasm at work, enthusiasm towards the Lord, and the opposite is true as well. Uh, I think perhaps one helpful exercise can be to, to ask our boss, ask our coworkers, hey, it, how, how do you see me at work? How do you see my demeanor? Uh, to not wait for our bosses or coworkers to have to tell us when we reach a breaking point um, might be something helpful. Letter C, integrity. Integrity at work. Um, really, all these can be pulled out of those verses. We looked at slaves and all things obey those who are your masters, not with external service as those merely uh, who please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And verse 25, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong, which he's done and not without partiality. That Greek word there translated external eye service, one word in the Greek. Um, And the word means the idea of slave to the eye only. That when people are looking, you know, I'll I'll, I'll, kind of butter myself up and butter them up a little bit. But the idea here is a total integrity and as i like to tell my kids integrity is doing the right thing when only god sees us kind of a corny little thing but helpful right to fear god in other words the idea the thing that the, the thing that makes a man a christian man have integrity is fearing the lord not not wanting to be as great or wanting to have this great reputation primarily but it's fearing the lord that is the great driver of integrity. You show me a guy who's had integrity in the long term, I'll show you a guy who underneath it has feared the Lord from morning till night by God's grace. Uh, Colby mentioned, you mentioned last week, not the idea of not stealing from her job. Um, obviously, it's not stealing time, not stealing stuff. Uh, that has, plays into integrity. And, and even if it's okay with, with a guy, with, with a man's employer, we should still maintain integrity. Even if a coworker or employer says, well, you know, we can, can," or even like a a subcontractor or or, uh, whatever it might be, well, we can fudge a little bit on T&M here, you know, with time and machinery, and we can kind of round up a little bit here, and it's not a way that is done with integrity. We shouldn't do it because we're to fear the Lord. Um, Diligence, letter D, diligence in one's work. Um, Ephesians 6, 7 there. With goodwill, render service as to the Lord. Uh, the, the, the word there translated, there's one Greek word translated goodwill. It means zeal. It means wholeheartedness and eagerness. That word goodwill. Wholeheartedness and eagerness. What, what would that look like in the workplace? Like a, a Christian man, wholehearted eagerness. What do you think, Cole? Being joyful at what you do is yeah. one that's not like a pleasant thing. Yeah, and, and in your profession, that's difficult because you, you're running around and carrying stuff and moving and hauling, and I mean, that's hard. But yeah, I think, I think that's the idea here a, a diligence, right? There are going to be hard things that happen. There's going to be bummers. There's going to be deadlines. There's going to be late nights, you know, catastrophes. It's very difficult. And man, it's just. I just have so much respect for for you guys and all all the professions that I see out here as I look at you guys. We really have to lean on God's grace, don't we, in our work every second. But this is an area where God has called us to, to to exemplify Christian character. And it can be very difficult with zeal, with diligence, sincerity, purity, and wholeheartedness. Amen? With goodwill, render service. Uh, That that Greek word, one Greek word translated render service, it's just the, it's the participle of the Greek word slave. So with goodwill, slaving is the idea. Where a slave was owned, he didn't really talk back, uh, continual action, so whole, wholehearted eagerness. Again, not easy in a Genesis 3 world. Um, letter E there, graciousness in the face of unkindness. Graciousness in the face of unkindness. That's another uh, biblical, biblically masculine idea of work. Again, the slave context, 1 Peter two eighteen. servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. And again, the, the, the employer-employee relationship wasn't quite as unpleasant, generally speaking, as the, the, the slave owner and the slave relationship of the first century, which is the, first, which is the context of these commands. Be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if, for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if, when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. So if we think something at work is, you know, we might be getting a little bit of the short end of the stick. There's nothing wrong, of course, with talking to the appropriate individuals about that. That's good but we also are respectful, gentle, submissive, is the word, coming under, right? The Greek word for submit was uh, used in the first century of of, um, inferior military personnel lining up quickly behind a superior military personnel, okay? And then employers, uh, Ephesians 6, 9, masters, so those who are employers, that's the closest thing we have in the context. Do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. Um, so when he says do the same things, what same things? Work as unto Christ, fearing God. Joyful, integrity, diligence. If, if you're a boss, you have people under you, I know a lot of you guys do. Um, that, that's something for you to consider as, as we uh, oversee teams in the workplace. Uh, implications obviously then believers should have a, a good reputation at their jobs. That's without question. I think it turns our work ethic. People might, might not like you because of what you believe as a Christian, because of the Christian values you stand for. That's okay. That's even, that can even be a good thing. Matthew 5, 10 to 12, but they it shouldn't be because in all truthfulness and righteousness, I'm, Not fulfilling God's will and God's commands for work ethic and attitude at my job. I should not be in that. And if that is the case, then I need to ask forgiveness of a coworker, a boss, whoever it might be. Okay? Um, I'm not going to be able to finish this thing. Um, Concentration and deep work. This is just kind of a side interesting thing. Uh, Has anyone heard of the book Deep Work by Cal Newport? The book Deep Work. By Cal Newport. Yeah. Colby Matt. Yeah. Interesting. It's an interesting book. He he talks about how, and he looks at different jobs. He talks about how, you know, the way the human mind works. And I've talked to some like super high level computer guys about this, where what you want to try to do and every job is different. So this won't always work, but he says you break your day into like two chunks of 90 to 120 minutes, your work day where in those 90 to 120 minute chunks, like no phone, no nothing, zero, you time it out to where you're the most awake and most focused and you dive super like way deep down into immense levels of concentration for your particular work. And when you do that, your productivity can like triple as opposed to if you're trying to do a particular, very rigorous, you know, as a mechanic or computer stuff, whatever it might be, I know this doesn't totally apply, but as opposed to if you're trying to do that work being distracted, like, you know, every six minutes, you can really crank out incredible productivity. Uh, I think you mentioned studies have shown when, when you do something like this. Um, very interesting. Um, I, I try to do this in just pastoral work if I'm doing like sermon prep or preparing for something like this. I mean, I have to have total like uninterruption to, 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 to build on ideas. I know you guys too in different ways. So an interesting book, uh, Cal Newport, Deep Work. Um, Uh, you know, if you're a metal worker, a woodworker, a plumber, electrician, you know, thoracic surgeon, lawyer, whatever you might be, financial manager, I mean, I know that those those jobs require intense concentration on a task that you're doing with your hands or your mind or both or whatever it might be. Um, Let me just make one more observation and then we'll have to leave off work in heaven. That's kind of the best part of this whole study, in my opinion. Number seven, hobbies and work. Just 30 seconds here. An interesting digression, Richard Phillips in his book, The Masculine Mandate, extra, excellent book. He says, quote, even in leisure, we see that men are made for work. A lot of your guys' hobbies are hard. <laughs> you know, if, if you're like a woodworking, a lot of you guys do woodworking. I mean, that's work. Why is it that men choose work for a hobby? It's very interesting. Well, back to the cultural mandate, the way they're hardwired. If you're a woodworker, uh, if you're like a hiker, I mean, you're, that's what's work. You're, you're exerting yourself. A butcher, uh, hunting, you know, I mean, these, these require immense levels of exertion. And why is it that we find ourselves and these as our hobbies uh, for rejuvenation, you know, like bolting up a mountain, sweating, carrying gear, and, you know, chasing an animal or in a wood shop or metal shop, whatever it might be? Uh, I think it's a fascinating, non coincidental correlation. That as you think back to Genesis 2, the goodness of God and work and the way men are hardwired. Uh, next week, we'll conclude with this lesson on heaven and work. Um, the, there is immense work in heaven, which is part of what makes heaven, heaven. Father in heaven, thank you uh, for your word. I pray for these dear brothers uh, as they just work hard and have difficult, battles in the workplace before them that you would give them extra grace extra strength extra favor uh, in their jobs fruitfulness and faithfulness in their jobs and just strengthen them for this god-glorifying but difficult task in a genesis 3 world i pray for all of us and all of them to excel and really give them just extra grace lord not only in work but with their families and the balance of those difficulties This week and beyond, Father, until we meet again for Corporate Worship Sunday. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.